Please do take out your Bibles once again and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have just sung together, we are resting, resting in Jesus. Father, help us to do that today and every day, trusting not ourselves, but Jesus. And so thank you, Father, for your word, which points us to Jesus. Thank you that you give us, uh, through your word and by your spirit, more and more desire and ability to rest in our Savior. Be pleased, Father, to not just inform us, but to transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past several weeks, as we've been working our way through the third gospel, uh, Luke's narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus, we've been unpacking and exploring what is known as the Sermon on the Plain. And you may recall a few weeks ago when we introduced this, there's a, a bit of a comparison and contrast with what is the more familiar Sermon on the Mount that we find in, in Mark, excuse me, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. Now, as it often happens with many sermons, uh, this sermon of Jesus, it's a collection of his teachings that Luke has brought together. And it includes, as we will see, a, a call to action, a, an exhortation. Just like many sermons, as they, as they wind down, in one sense, they wind up with a, with a call, an exhortation. And we'll see that in particular um, today as we conclude in the Sermon on the Plain. And as we begin, I want us to always keep in mind and remember that Luke has written this orderly account. It's not by accident. It's purposeful, uh, deliberate. It's, it's an orderly account so that his readers then, in particular Theophilus, who he was writing to, but other readers in those early days, but also now, that we, that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. Well, what has Jesus been teaching in this Sermon on the Plain? Uh, let's think back, and you can look with me, uh, beginning really in verse 20 of chapter 6. Um, what's Jesus been teaching? He's been teaching who is blessed in the kingdom of God and who should be warned. He, he's, he's been teaching uh, to do what is close, probably as close as to impossible as anything. And if, and if we think this is not possible, apart, if we think we could do this apart from God's immediate aid, I'm not sure we really understand what Jesus is calling us to do. He's teaching us to do what's close to impossible, to love our enemies, to do good, not to those who love us only, but to do good to those who hate us. He's been teaching who God is, that God the Father is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. He's been teaching those who are listening to him to be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He's been teaching his listeners to judge others rightly, not to exercise judgmental condemnation, not to be censorious where you are just delighted to point out the faults of others as you elevate yourself 
and you put others down. He's been teaching those who are listening to forgive, to recognize that we will be treated in the manner we treat others. He's been teaching us to not follow teachers who are blind and don't know the way. He's been teaching us to not fail to deal with our own major sins before we attempt to deal with the minor sins of others. He's been teaching us that no one in the kingdom can lead others until they have learned to be led, nor can they correct others until they first have accepted correction. In summary, Jesus has been teaching the identity and ethics of those coming into the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to finish up our study of the sermon by directing our attention to verses 43 through 49. And we're going to begin by first focusing on verse 46, the question Jesus asks. And in asking this question, Jesus issues a challenge. He's presenting a challenge to those who have gathered to hear him speak. Let's look at the question Jesus asked. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Let's hear it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? tell you? Well, let's notice a few things. First, it's a why question. It's going to go to the issue of motive. Why do you do what you do? Why do you not do what you don't do? And it's directed to those who address Jesus as Lord, Lord. Now, Lord, Lord is a Hebrew method of communicating intimacy, the repetition of names. It's used on rare occasions. We think back at the time of the sacrifice of Isaac when the Lord called Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Or maybe when the Lord spoke out of the burning bush to Moses, Moses. Moses. You see, if someone is addressing Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this preacher, as Lord, Lord, they're saying that they have a deep and committed personal relationship with Jesus. But Jesus is saying without saying it's going to be tested. That declaration of a deep and personal committed relationship with Jesus, it'll be tested. So it's a why question. It goes to the issue of motive. He's speaking about people who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, an intimate form of address. And it concerns an important, crucial, fundamental aspect of the Christian life, obedience. Look how he finishes. And not do what I tell you. That's a matter, that's an issue of obedience. Now, 
it's always important to remember that this gospel that Luke is presenting, this gospel that Jesus is declaring is not obey and then you'll be accepted by God. Rather, the gospel is by the sheer grace of God alone, you have been accepted. Therefore, obey. It's the logic of the gospel. It's the grammar of the gospel. And my hope and prayer for everyone who enters the doors of grace and peace in past, present, and future will, if they walk away with anything, will understand the grammar of the gospel, the logic of the gospel, the fact that the indicative precedes the imperative. The declaration precedes the command. It's never the other way around. And if you reverse it, you and I will be burdened with an inescapable guilt. The best thing would look like jumping into a pit of despair if the command precedes the declaration. We're always in this grammar lesson. Now, in summary, in asking the question, Jesus is saying, although I've been teaching you, You've not been doing what I'm telling you to do. I've been preaching, but you haven't been practicing. Well, it's not only a why question in terms of motive, it's a question having to do with the authority of Jesus. Remember, when he begins his ministry, people are astounded. They've never heard someone speak with this kind of authority. It's not like the the teachers of the law, the scribes who are kind of middlemen, it's almost that there's this first person authority with which Jesus preaches and teaches. Now Jesus here in this sermon is not presenting an ethic that people could follow apart from him. He really is bringing everything back to him. And in fact, the Christian life is, is always about bringing things back to Jesus. Now, both before and after this question, Jesus presents two illustrations, one having to do with trees and the other having to do with buildings. Well, let's listen and turn our ears into eyes. Let's listen and turn our ears into eyes as we read, as I read, and beginning in verse 43 to the end of the chapter. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, the, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. 
And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, both of these illustrations, the the trees and the house, uh, they they present two illustrations themselves, uh, two kinds of trees and two kinds of houses. Now, I believe that we can see that Jesus is teaching about what I'm calling the two sides of discipleship, a passive side and an active side. You see, discipleship has both passive and active aspects. Well, let's now focus our attention on and consider this first illustration, uh, the one having to do with trees. It shows us, I believe, the passive side of discipleship. Let's read verses 43 and through 45 again. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Well, this illustration, if you were using your your ears as eyes, there's some parts in this illustration. There's trees, there's fruit. There's persons, there's treasures of the heart. Now, based on what has gone before in terms of Jesus' teaching on making the right kind of judgments, uh, we see initially that Jesus is saying that you can make judgments based on what you see, based on the fruit that is evident. And as you know, fruit takes time. So you may see things, but Jesus is saying, you know, look over time and what do you see? And you can make evaluations. You can evaluate others and you can evaluate yourselves based on what you see. Not looking for perfection in the fruit, but rather looking for sincerity in the fruit. We see in this illustration there are two kinds of trees But that's pointing to the fact that there are two kinds of hearts. And because there are two kinds of hearts, there really are two kinds of people. I mean, there's two kinds of everything, really. There's the good and the bad. Now let's back up again and think about this illustration. Trees. Trees bearing fruit. This is passive discipleship, is it not? See, the tree is being acted upon, right? The sun is shining on the tree. The rain is falling and watering the tree. What is the tree doing? Being a tree. Living a tree life. What it produces is based on what kind of tree it is. 
Remember our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah about a tree planted by water. What's the tree there doing? It's absorbing the water. It's planted near the stream. It's it's just absorbing. It's absorbing the sunlight. You think of Psalm 1. The whole psalm is about the, the wise way and the foolish way, but in there there's this image again of streams, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. There's a, there's a New Testament reading we heard from John 15 about what does the vine do? What does the branch do? The branch abides in the vine, right? And because the branch is abiding in the vine, it's producing fruit. If you would turn with me to Mark's gospel, there's an interesting um, section in Mark chapter 4 called the parable of the growing seed. Listen to Mark 4, 26 through 29. And he said, that's Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. See, that's one of the most encouraging commands, really, in ministry. I mean, we've got to talk a little bit about command, even in this passive. The seed is scattered, right? But what does the farmer really do? He sleeps and he gets up. He sleeps and he gets up. And what is happening? The nature, as it were, the God of nature is directing that seed to sprout, to grow. The farmer has done nothing. You see, with this tree image, Jesus is saying that works are a product of something deeper, that the fruit is something that's the product of something deeper. Jesus, you see, is linking uh, root, uh, linking the fruit back to the, to the root, to the heart. He's looking at both motive and action. Um, one commentator, as I was studying, made this statement that the presence of fruit does not mean the absence of faith. You can trust God to what, do what only God can do at the same time you can work, and we'll see about that more in a moment. So, so how do we put into practice here what Jesus has been preaching? Well, with this illustration of the tree and the fruit, you see, Jesus is aiming for the heart at the deepest level of our being. We, we don't have the ability, and Jesus wants us to recognize, to, ch- to change our nature. Only God can do that, and we'll see that unfold in Luke. Jesus is aiming for the heart. He's not just going to be content to be on the surface, but go deep. 
Well, I want us to let, I want us to consider now this active side of discipleship, the illustration having to do with the houses. But in doing so, we're going to need to compare and contrast at times with the passive side. Let's hear verses 47 through 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is drawing attention here, hears my words and does them. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the verb to obey comes from the same Greek root word as to hear. And what's interesting is you put the prefix hyper on it and it goes from to hear to obey. And so, interestingly, obedience is hyper hearing. It's putting what you're hearing into practice. And here, in this illustration, there are parts. There's men, there's construction, there's foundations, there's a, there's a stream because of the storm. And there are two kinds of houses. And Jesus is wanting us to realize there are two types or two kinds of people. Let's look at these two houses that are in the subdivision. But they're in one of those subdivisions where, you know, the one builder doesn't build them all. You know, different builders are building in this subdivision. Now, they may look the same on the outside. Uh, they, they face the same circumstances. That stream arises, and in Mark's version, it's, excuse me, Matthew's version, it's the storm that comes. The same idea that... The, the uh, dry creek bed in Palestine would be dry most of the year, but in the rainy season, it would, it would fill up and there would be a flash flood. But there are different outcomes. One house is not shaken, the other house collapses and falls into a great ruin. And if you've been listening, as it's been read twice, the different outcome is due, of course, to different foundations. Well, actually, it's not really different foundations here. It's actually one has a foundation and the other does not have a foundation. One, notice it says, is built on the ground. It's superficial on the surface. The other house is more substantial. It's got a foundation. Notice as this sermon ends, Jesus makes no editorial comment, but he lets his sermon end. Luke wants the sermon to end with the sound of the collapsing house. There was that man who built his house on the foundation of the rock. Of course, What is that? It's the teaching of Jesus. More than that, it's Jesus himself. That secure, 
foundation which withstands the storm, it takes hard work. It takes long work. Foundations, as Rob pointed out in the house that's being built, I believe, in your neighborhood, you got to dig out. You got to lay the foundation before the visible part of the house is built. So, with this passive and this active, taking action and doing something, uh, I think it, we need to be reminded through a few other scriptures. Later in Luke, Jesus would say, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus expects action. Yes, there's the passive aspect of discipleship, but there's the active side as well. We could have chosen James 1 as a New Testament reading, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James is picking up exactly what Jesus is talking about here. If you, for if anyone um, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in a mirror looks at his natural face in a mirror and then he looks at himself and goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. James is picking up the same thing of Jesus. Jesus says it in John pretty clearly. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, obedience, Jesus is wanting us to see, is the necessary and inevitable fruit of saving faith. We know that faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone, but it's accompanied by obedience. So how do we put into practice here what Jesus has been preaching? I mean, when you hear this, does this motivate you or does this rather put on the handcuffs of anxiety, worry, fear? Is this something that would cause you to run toward Jesus or to run away from him? Now, there's somebody else in this illustration. You see, that man that's building the house that man who's dug down deep and is building a foundation, there is a a foreman on site leading, directing, instructing, guiding. That foreman's got the blueprints. You know, yes, Jesus is the foundation, but Jesus is also in his teaching. He's the foreman. Is your life right now built on a solid foundation? Or is your life or parts of your life just laid out on the ground? Because for believer or unbeliever, for disciple or non-disciple, the storms of life are coming. As we heard in our adult class, we were reminded of the futility of this life. Jesus is talking about more than two 
kinds of houses. He's talking about two kinds of people. You know, the, whenever I get bogged down by this idea of, of working and obedience, I remember the time recorded in John 6 when some people came to Jesus and said, what must we be doing to do the works God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in whom in him whom he has sent. Yes, Jesus is full of ethical instruction, but behind that and before that and around that, he's wanting, he's calling for faith in him. Discipleship or sanctification has both active and passive components. Remember this psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The Lord's got to build it. We're passive. It's implied that we are laboring. Paul says to the church in Corinth, hey, I planted this church. Apollos watered this church, but God gave the growth to this church. Paul labored Apollos labored, but then they watched God do a great work. I mean, indeed, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, active and passive. A few years ago, I heard a story that I think captures much of what is going on in this text, this idea of trees and fruit, of houses, the men who build them. It's the story of a construction company, a really well-respected construction company in a town, and the owner was known for a man of integrity. He was a man of his word. He built high-quality houses well, this father was getting old in years, and he had a son, an oldest son who was working for the company. You know, started out at age 16, just doing odds and ends, but working his way up, getting more and more responsibility. Well, the, the owner of the company, the father, was going to be retiring in a few years, and he and his wife um, decided that um, for their son's wedding gift, they were going to do something big. You see... The son was given more and more increasing responsibility for the dad's construction company. He was going to take it over. And there was one house uh, that his father said, son, you go build it. It's up to you. And it was a house not being built for anybody in particular, but it was just, a, I guess, a spec house. And that son thought, you know what? Our company can make a lot of money if I cut some corners. So I'm not going to use the best lumber. I'm not going to use the best electrical cables. I'm not going to use the best roofing. And you know what? That foundation, man, that is really costly. That is expensive. Uh, we're going to do a different kind of foundation. We will save a lot of money in the building, but we will make a lot of money. So that house was completed, wasn't sold yet. And the, the mother and the father called their son and his um, fiancée who were getting married in 
had dinner and after dinner, the father says something like this. Son, your mother and I want you and your soon-to-be wife to have that house. We want you to have that as your house. It's our gift to you. It really does matter how you build. Because you and I have got to live in the house that we are building. We've got to live in the house that we've built and are still building. So let me ask you this, and I'm asking me this too. What kind of house are you building? Does it have a foundation? Are you building your house on the rock? Is your house being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Not just his teaching, but himself. And my friends, the good news, if you're hearing this, it's not too late. Ask for help. Help is available. Look around to one another. Look up to the Lord. May we, each of us individually as well as a church, may we really grow in our intimacy with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus, so that that when we come to him and say, Lord, Lord, it is with an open heart, a soft heart, a teachable heart. Yes, at times, more times than we care, a sinful heart, but a forgiven heart. May we come to the Lord with that kind of heart. May we find rest. He calls us, if we are weary and heavy laden, to come to him and find rest for our souls. We find rest in Jesus. And because we have new hearts, because we're new kind of people, we're gonna more and more be able to do what he tells us to do. Amen. Father, we thank you for this part of your word, even though, Father, it is illustrated, even though it's hard to miss the trees and the fruit, it's hard to miss the the houses and the storms, but, oh God, you know how we miss it still. So, Father, would you be pleased to give us understanding and give us a growing desire to know our Lord Jesus, our Savior Jesus, and to increasingly do those things he's asked us to do so that we can be a blessing to one another and to glorify our Father in heaven before a watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.